Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Lead to Soar podcast. On this episode, Michelle Redfern is joined by Lisa Alexander, who is a former professional athlete turned professional coach. You may not know this, so let me share quickly that our fearless host, Michelle, has created an initiative to advance women in sport, and it has two goals. One, educate and raise awareness of gender inequity in sport, particularly for non-athlete women, and two, provide access to research-backed and evidence-based solutions to close the gender gap in sport. That's just a little context on Michelle's side. Lisa Alexander needs no introduction in Australia. However, I'd like to share some of her bio for everyone. Lisa has been a winning high-performance coach for the past 30 years. At the time of recording, she sits on the Victorian Institute of Sport Board as the performance and coaching expert. She has reached the pinnacle of international high-performance sport as the most recent head coach of the number one ranked netball team in the world for the past nine years. They were also the 2014 Commonwealth Games gold medalists, 2015 world champions, and eight times Constellation Cup winners, five times Quad Series winners, and this team, of course, is the Australian Diamonds netball team. It has been a long journey to the top of the sport of netball, with many bends and twists along the way. Lisa has taken up the challenges with great gusto, and she's guided by her unending quest for excellence and learning more about the world she inhabits. Without further ado, please welcome Lisa Alexander. Hi, 
Hi everyone and welcome back to Lead to Soar, our podcast for women and men, but certainly women who are serious about career and leadership. In this episode, it's my absolute honour, privilege and joy, and I expect I'm going to have a bit of fun as well, to introduce you to a woman that I have, well, I admired at afar for a long time. Then I had a, an opportunity to meet her, work with her and have continued to, to be connected with her. This woman is, uh, well, her name is Lisa Alexander. And for those of, of our friends in perhaps um, geographies where netball is not uh, a main sport, let me fill you in on some, some details. So netball in Australia and the UK uh, and other geographies, Lisa can, can uh, fill in the details, is the largest sport by participation numbers uh, and particularly for girls and women uh, in Australia. And net, our national netball team, the Australian Diamonds, has been one of our most successful sporting teams, not, not just women, overall one of our most successful sporting teams for over a decade. That team was led by head coach, Lisa Alexander, and today we're going to talk, well, we're going to talk about leadership, of course, but we, I really want to explore the link between head coaches elite sport, sport full stop and leadership and how that translates for all of us and really pick Lisa's brains about what it takes to lead for outcomes, no matter what court, field or organisation um, that, that you're working in. So welcome, Lisa, and uh, wonderful to have you here. And if someone says to you, hi, Lisa, what do you do? What do you say now? Yeah, I don't. I guess I'm working in the leadership space, really. I'm also still doing a bit of coaching. I'm, I'm really excited about working with businesses nowadays that are, I guess, kitted up for the future, like, you know, talking on podcasts. I'm, I'm actually creating a podcast as well at the moment with leading teams who I work for on a very, very part-time basis. And I'm also doing some of my own consulting to different sporting clubs and um, I'm also very busy on the VIS board as well, a voluntary position, the Victorian Institute of Sports. So it combines my two loves of high performance and all sports. I'm a bit of a sports nut. So I'm really, really enjoying that experience. If you're going to be on a board, it's probably the best board to be on in many respects and learning a lot. Surprisingly, I've learned so much this year um, having not been in the position of the head coach because I stepped down in March, start of the year, and then COVID hit. All sorts of things have happened in my personal life as well. We've moved to the country. And so it's been, in many respects, a joyous year because you've learnt so much. We've learnt a lot as a couple, my husband and I. And it's been an interesting and joyous time. It has. And 2020 will always be that year that people talk about and the extremes of experiences that people have had in 2020, I think is, is a, a great case study unfolding before our very eyes. Prior to 2020 and prior to March, let's hear a little bit about your role as the head coach of the Australian Diamonds. 
So you are, well, head coach and, well, how about you tell us and particularly our listeners who might not be familiar with elite sport in Australia and, and, and the structure uh, and the leadership structure around Netball Australia and the, and, the, and the Diamond. So tell us about your role there. Yeah, my role was, well, first of all, it was a bit of a shock to move from teaching into a head coaching role, which is a full-time role. And really, I was at the start, the combined role of being the head coach who coaches the team, as well as being the high performance manager. So, you know, organizing lots of different parts to the high performance system. Thankfully, that dropped down to not having to be the high performance manager as well, because it's just too, too much to do. Mm. Um, And so what I became really was the lead I guess, technical lead of netball in Australia in terms of coaching, but also in high performance and also our talent pathways as well. So really had an overarching technical view of our sport. And I was also at that same time charged with the responsibility of selling the Australian diamonds into the Australian people's consciousness. So we had to play and play well and I had to do all the technical aspects of coaching to get that to happen but at the same time be very conscious of the fact that this team it only you know it's only out there together six weeks out of every year on average Uh, we had to really capture the minds the hearts and minds of the Australian public whilst we did that having a really big base is fantastic it's a great start But what we didn't have is enough media coverage and, you know, corporate knowledge of how we could, I guess, add to brands and really, you know, say to the corporates out there that, you know, this is a great team to be a part of and sponsorships and so forth had to rise at that time. So we had some key areas of measurement in those areas. And I'm very used to that. As a head coach, that's what I deal with all the time. And I'm a maths teacher by profession as well. So I've got an advantage. I do understand data and statistics very well. And so when, you know, the data analytics and statistics have really gained traction, particularly over the last 10 years, it's been interesting because I've understood those, but how you prioritize those areas is still very much linked to your strategy your overall strategy of what you're trying to achieve so you can do lots and lots of different things but what I learned was I had to prioritize key areas in our program that were achievable but we still had to have them measured so that we knew we were you know succeeding in those different areas and I remember one of the ones was to be noted down as one of the best sports in Australia as judged by the Australian Institute of Sport and who's now called Sport Australia. We wanted to be the number one sport. We actually got to that level, I think it was in 2016, where we were judged on all sorts of different metrics, not just the performance of the team, but on, you know, our, our pathways for our talented athletes, how well we looked after athlete well-being and also our sports science approach as well. So really very holistic programming and planning that I basically pushed through and undertook against the tide, actually, back in two. Yeah, yeah. 
I think many, many of your listeners need to understand there's only 15% of the coaches at high performance level are women in Australia. And particularly in the Olympic sporting arena, which I was part of being supported by the Australian Institute of Sport funding and government funding, it's even less. Mm. And you had to prove your worth amongst those sports as well. So many of the sports looked down their nose at us a little bit at the start of 211 until they understood that particularly from a leadership perspective, I was fair income about high performance. Fair income means really, really serious <laughs> in Australian vernacular. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I demonstrated that consistently at that time. And now when you look back on it, it was actually quite innovative and revolutionary at the start of when I started the position to look after athlete well-being. Now it's, you know, got a whole area of the Australian Institute of Sport that it's devoted to it and the understanding that you, you've got to have great people and great athletes. And that's certainly something that's been a part of my coaching and leadership for a long time. So, so much. I'm madly making notes here about all of the, the, the key <laughs> points that I talk to women about a lot. And you know, we unashamedly focus on leadership, but we talk about leadership in terms of business, strategic and financial acumen, that, that missing 33%. For you, the things that I heard then. So the, the, the head coach is not only a technical coach, i.e. what players do I put where and talent yeah. p- pathways and things like that. You've got a you know, you've got that inside out or outside in approach. So you've got certainly the the stuff that's going on inside the organisation from a an athlete perspective, but that external focus, so critical when, as we start to ascend in our careers and become more senior, the focus becomes less on doing the do and more about leading other people to do that, but also focusing on the external markets. And for, for in your role, your external markets were well, the Australian public, sponsors, board, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and other stakeholders, including the, you know, the, the government and government-backed bodies, particularly around funding. And that, I would imagine for, for some of our listeners, might, they might be thinking, oh, a head coach doesn't just do coaching. They have to do all this. They have to run a business. It's a big business, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, well, our program was basically our budget was $2 million a year. And I know my own operating budget, what it was at the start, it was exactly the same when I finished. So <laughs> mm. there was no increase in funding. <laughs> so we always had to be very fiscally responsible with how we spent our money because it's government money. And I reminded people whenever I spoke to different groups, particularly internationally, that, you know, that's a responsibility I took very seriously. The taxpayers paid for us to do what we're doing. So we needed to spend our money very wisely. Like I said before, prioritise the areas that were key mm. priorities. There were, there were parts to our program we would have loved to have had more time with our athlete wellbeing manager, but we could only afford a day a week from her. And she she worked enormous hours and probably went above and beyond. But sometimes that's actually what happens in high performance sport, particularly in Olympic sports. People are not there for the money. 
they're there to experience the very, very top level of sport and gain experience that then they take back into other businesses and so forth. Mm. I can tell you that Angie, our wellbeing manager, is very well sought after now because of her experiences with the Australian Diamond. So it's a part of creating a program that people want to work for. Be mindful of not paying them too little because that's getting into exploitation. Yep. Um, but also giving them enough experience and empowerment to really fly. And that's what you have to do when you've got the top the best people in their areas, you've also got to coach them to do their job as well as they can. Because as you said before, I can't do everything and I needed to have the best and good people to work as my support staff to ensure that what we were delivering the athletes was the world's best high-performance program. So that was very much part of our vision. Mm. Um, and that leadership has to happen consistently and you know, sometimes it's a grind, but it has to be done all the time. And you have to be mindful of people's lives outside of sport as well, which I think I did very well. And that actually captured, I guess, the commitment, the extra commitment that many of those people gave to the program, including the athletes. They went above and beyond to ensure that we got to the level that we've got to now and it's at a bit of a precipice, I must admit, at this time because of COVID and not playing. Mm. The Diamonds haven't played basically all year. So, you know, hopefully when the new coach gets out there with the team, they can, you know, take it to that next level. Thanks, Lisa. I want to go back on a, a couple of things that you said there and let me put some context around it before I explore more around leading for outcomes from the top. You transition from... Uh, school teacher into and you were certainly already very involved as a player I mean so you knew netball very well you're an elite player yourself so you transition from teaching into coaching and coaching as a profession you then ascended through to to head coach now one of the things I picked up on that you just said was that you have to coach your coaches because you can't do everything yourself one of the many things that we we try to pay attention to and have women pay attention to is the ability to delegate. And we know from our research that in terms of the traits and the characteristics that make for successful leaders, when we, when we interview bosses through a whole bunch of different ways, women are perceived as not being great delegators. And I would certainly say that in all of the programs and experiences that I've led, many women say to me, oh, just delegation. I find it really tricky. And, and I certainly, even, even in my own leadership career, have had to work hard on making sure I delegate. What were your experiences at learning to successfully delegate? And I guess what are the tips around you know, getting out of your own way but also how to do it successfully? Because as a CEO, because you are effectively the CEO of a business, you can't be running around doing everything. You have to coach other people. So can you tell me about delegation and, and how that has worked and not worked for you? Yeah, look, I think it's been embedded in my life from when I first had a baby at 18. <laughs> when I'm reflecting back on my leadership story, and I have done this and I've shared this story with 
particularly with women find it inspiring and you know for me it was very it was a very personal story and I attached a lot of shame to it at the start but didn't realize that it had pieces to it that really helped people to understand that and I am I am going to butt in there Lisa it was particular and you and I met for the first time around the same time that you were publicly sharing your your story and I myself found it as as also a young mother not not quite as young as you but as a young mother found it extraordinarily inspiring but also empowering and thinking gee I wish when I was your, you know, when we were about the same age, when we were having our babies, that I could have heard from someone like you. Like you, I looked up and saw so many women who didn't have kids or weren't, they were, looked up and saw not many women full stop. So apologies for interrupting, but it was hugely inspiring. And we'll talk about storytelling in a moment. But delegation, so having the baby, learn to delegate. Well, I, I had to learn to do that early. You know, I I couldn't be a stay-at-home mum. I probably would have loved that and probably dream about that at different times. But um, it's probably not part of me either. I have to accept that the me was an achiever and was very determined to do things. So learning to delegate and give people other responsibilities and not hold on to it myself, I think I must have learnt that quite young because otherwise I wouldn't have got through university and looked after my family, et cetera. So, and I think coaching also helped me to understand that too. Coaching is something where you do have to give over the power, I guess you call it, the empowerment to the players who go out on the court and undertake the strategy that you've all come together to work on. So coaching has taught me that. Teaching also teaches you delegation because you can't teach on an individual basis with a class. You have to organise your classes so that you can get across the information and the curriculum to a whole group. And there are different strategies that teachers use to do that. So basically, it's been part of my training, I guess, since I was 20 and undertaking university, as I said, personally in my personal life and then also in coaching and teaching because mm -hmm. I've coached and taught alongside each other my whole career as a teacher, full-time teacher, but also coaching part-time. Um, I was a playing coach as well, so I had to defer to a bench coach who really was very helpful but very creative as well, and I was very lucky to have a male, Jeff Davis, who, who sat on the bench, he was the father of one of the athletes in our team. And that brought me a whole new way of looking at coaching. He probably mm. coached from a football point of view because that's what he was used to. So the coming together in the strengths of both and using each other's, I guess, strengths was just part of what I had to do. You know, it was sort of like a have to do. If I didn't delegate, well, you know, I wouldn't have been able to successfully get that team to, you know, premierships and all sorts of things. So learning those lessons along the way in netball is, you know, has been extremely important to my career in teaching and vice versa. Our leadership definition, which is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others, you've just really typified engaging the greatness in others, which is hearts, minds and efforts and everyone rowing in the same direction, which of course for every CEO or head of business or in charge of 
whatever they're in charge of. We want people to understand where we're going and be a part of that. And I love that story about Jeff and the fact that sometimes when we do delegate, we find a really surprisingly positive outcome, which is this person's really different to me. Hey, the power of diversity, right? This person's really different. They are augmenting my skills. And gee whiz, how creative is our solution now? <laughs> well, the thing is, Jeff actually texted me not long ago because he's a North Melbourne supporter. And for those global mm. people that are listening in, I put my hand up for the North Melbourne Football Club, which is one of our AFL men's programs that I put my hand up for to see if I could interview for the head coach position there. And he actually barracks for North Melbourne. So he was very upset that they didn't interview me. And He's not the only one who was very upset, Lisa Alexander. (laughs) For anyone who wants to see how upset I was, just look at my Twitter feed. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah, look, Uh, um, it's a last bastion, I think, in Australia. It's probably as hard to get into as politics at the moment in Australia, trying to convince everybody that women can lead and can make good decisions and can run a company or can run this and that, we, you know, just need to be a little bit more out there and talking about it, which is why I've decided to do that. Mm. I could have done it privately, but I just said, look, I I need to actually start knocking on the door and trying to break that glass ceiling for for women in Australia. So that's what I've decided to do at every opportunity. Good. And And you have have our unstinting support. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, you know, people often, it was one of the reporters asked me was, and look, they're all very genuine, I have to say, particularly there's been many men who have been very supportive of me doing this. They know me, they understand the level of coaching that I've undertaken at the very top level of international sport. I talk to Eddie Jones quite often. He coaches the English rugby team and both of us don't think of each other as a, a man and a woman. We think of each other as coaches and we yep. talk around coaching and, and how we're going. And that's the way I view it. But I know that that's not the reality here. I'm being judged because I am a woman primarily. And how can a, whim, a woman tell a group of you know young men what to do? And I keep on saying I did it all the time when I was teaching. It's not yep. an issue. The key point around that, and if I equate that to the world of business, is the transferable skills, which certainly in some of my commentary around um, your foray um, with North Melbourne was around leaders are leaders are leaders. And certainly as you become more senior in organisations, no matter whether they're on the field, off the field, whether they're in academia, whatever politics, whatever it may be, your reliance on your original technical skills becomes lower and lower because the, the to lead for outcomes for an organisation, well, you said it yourself when you first started, you've got to lead for growth, you've got to have a vision, set a strategy, you've got to have and demonstrate those skills, which I want to talk about as well. 
the strategy, the metrics, those things are completely transferable. But also back to our conversation about delegation, you've also got a very big team of people around you, particularly in the highly professionalised sports like the AFL, the NFL in, in America, rugby league and union across the world. There are many, many experts who are technically expert in their field. So as the head coach, the CEO coach, it's your responsibility to engage the greatness in all of those people and align them towards the strategy. And that's, I think that's the breakthrough piece. And for women who are listening, thinking, gee, I could never break out of my engineering stream or my tech stream or my HR stream or whatever technical stream they perhaps started their career off at, I would like to encourage them to say, think bigger and be bold, but expand your tapestry of experiences so that you can throw your hat in the ring. What would be your advice to those women based on your own experience? Based on my own experience, I became a leadership how would I call this in the nicest way possible? Just love doing leadership courses, love learning about what it is that makes you the best leader you can possibly be. And so I started that journey of finding out about myself because really at the end of the day, it does come back to your own ability to self-analyse, to self-organise to grow, to have the right self-talk and the right confidence about your communication with people mm -hmm. uh, because your that's what your job depends on. It depends on your ability to communicate your message to your peers, to the people that are underneath you in terms of, you know, they might be doing jobs in another area or to influence up as well. So it's all of those pieces of the communication high that are so important in your job and you learn different ways of doing those things by having that journey of self-awareness for yourself the mm. more that you can learn about yourself and what you need to do to improve you then learn about what it is that people need for you to support them so if you're going on your own journey of self-awareness and self-understanding you are going to be much better at seeking to understand, empathising, asking the right questions and listening at the end of the day, all of those skills that require a two-way communication mm. at a very, very basic level. The importance of the, of the emotionally intelligent leader can't be underestimated. We've got, and I think that's a great way of describing what I was trying to describe, Lisa, is that you need to be able to have impact with all of the stakeholders that you need to be able to engage with all of those stakeholders, you know, being hierarchical below you, above you, next to you in your ecosystem. But that journey of self-discovery, by the way, I'm called a leadership nerd by those that love me because <laughs> like you, I've been on this journey of leadership, well, since I was probably about 30 years old. And it's, it. and you know what, I, I think the other thing I, I would also reflect on the, what you said is that, you're still learning and it, it never finishes, right? The journey to leadership mastery is, is never ending. It's never ending and it's especially so working with an organisation like Leading Teams, which it is our core business, is yeah. to support businesses to be high-performing teams and to work on their culture and their leadership and all the aspects of the dynamics of a business mm. that 
really determine whether a business is going to be a high performing business at the end of the day. And it's, it's so important with the, we, I just love Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's, you know, it just stands the test of time. And so many principles still, still apply and, and are, well, I don't think anything's timeless, but gee whiz, that book's pretty timeless in that you've got to keep getting better to stay ahead of that, mm. that curve. And whether it's an organisation or whether it's an individual, it's that constant professional development, that continuing professional development to give you the edge over your competition. Absolutely. And you, you, if you're expecting to empower people and expecting them to be leaders, you have to show that you are prepared to have feedback and to improve and to review yourself so that you're role modelling that for the people that you work with. And I said before about below and above, I, I'm really, I'm very, very egalitarian, I have to say, in terms As of my own <laughs> uh, approach. I'm very democratic. Even in the classroom as a teacher, I was, and I can remember my year nine class that I had to leave to teach, uh, to go coaching full time. And I was, it was a real, it was painful for me to have to leave that group. They were such an engaged group that, you know, had been empowered to work together as our own little homeroom team. And that's, you know, to see young people and the way they are like that is just, in, it's a great privilege that I'll never take for granted my teaching career. And I think some of those young people will be some of today's leaders and will have a very different outlook on life than perhaps people who haven't had the benefit of your wisdom and, and, and coaching they always did say, though, that I was hard on them too. And I think that's the thing that, you know, particularly when I speak to a lot of young teachers about the way they go about their business is they still, young people still need that really, the boundaries and the high expectations and need to be held accountable to that. There's that accountability framework as well. Mm. And I think that's what people in business and particularly women in business find difficult is having those conversations where they have to say something where they've got to get a, you know, a difficult conversation where they've got to talk about something that hasn't gone well and how we, you know, resolve that. I think that's where we do trip ourselves up a little bit. We've got to have that mindset of it's not just it's not always happy days and it's not always you know light and fluffy sometimes there's some hard grind to be done mm. and that is a full part of what your full leadership package is all about totally agree and which is a great way to talk about communicating or speaking credibly to stakeholders and I like you very egalitarian I include stakeholders as the people who report to me suppliers that I manage, customers, my, my boss, the board, whoever it may be, we know that the language that is required, at, particularly as you become more senior, it needs to shift. So there's, there's a couple of things I want to explore here because you've had this remarkable career. You've nailed the sort of, you, you've given us the, the picture of who you had to communicate with uh, in your role uh, as, as head coach of the Australian Diamonds. And I'm particularly interested in two things. Number one, who helped you along the way? So mentors, 
And and then the second part I'm going to explore with you is that language, the language we use, particularly with those senior stakeholders, the you know, who've got a lot of skin in the game. So first part, I get very animated about mentoring because I think women are over-mentored, under-sponsored and under-promoted and our statistics globally about leadership support that. However, great mentoring, strategic mentoring makes a difference for women. If you look back over your career, do you reflect and say, yeah, there, there, there are a couple of people here or who? what's an example of a person who was a good strategic mentor for you? Oh, well, definitely Joyce Brown, because she picked me out as coaching talent way back in the 1990s. I think she saw a lot of herself in me being a, she's also a a qualified teacher and she knew that I knew the game well and I had a a strategic mind and a good mind. She'd see me practicing on state underage teams in Victoria as well. I was Victorian, so that was a little bit parochial, I guess, from her point of view. So she brought me under her wing when I was doing my high performance coach accreditation, which is all part-time on the side of my full-time career as a teacher. So the other bit I want to just say to everyone here is that I also, I didn't just go up the coaching ladder and do my own professional development. I gave back to the sport at the same time. So Part of being a teacher as well, at that time, I was expected to actually deliver coach education courses. So when you deliver things to people, you learn about things a Mm. lot more. So I was, I guess... The best way to learn is to teach, right? Yeah, and I was embedded in that information of what the coaching process was all about from a, a very young age and always has been a part of what I like to do. Because I think it closes that whole circle of coaching that you you coach others, but then you also want to coach coaches and be mentors to coaches as well. So I've mentored a lot of coaches from, a, you know, quite a young age. So learning about mentoring from a young age has really helped me as well. Knowing the things that I need to do and say to people to support them, but also to sponsor them as well. I've done a lot of sponsoring and lifting up of women's careers in coaching as as much as I, you know, sometimes you have to make hard decisions between coaches at the very top level, but I've always encouraged, particularly my elite athletes to make that transition to coaching because I think it's a terrific career and many of them have done that and I'm really, really proud of them. They're, you know, I can think of Beck Bully, who's now coaching in New South Wales. She's a Victorian who comes from, you know, close to, where I'm living at the moment here in Bendigo. And she, you know, she's now combining that with her family, but doing the, you know, the high performance coaching, starting her coaching career. And many of them are doing that. I think if I hadn't have shown that that could be done, a young coach with a family and being mindful of of setting that example and role modeling that, we wouldn't get as many women into to coaching. So I'm very passionate about that as well. But certainly Joyce, you know, she sat me in a car for four hours and she just said to me, I said, how did you look after your kids when you were coaching when you were 35? You know, she had four kids under six and she oh. said, Lisa, I had a nanny. 
And that was it because her husband, Colin, was a very successful businessman, too busy to look after children. And that's the only way she could do it. Mm. And, you know, in those days, it was still, there was still a lot of frowning upon women, you know, in the workforce with children because it was expected that you should be at home looking after your children. So to hear somebody like that really against the grain in her days in the 1970s say that that's what she did was enormously inspiring for me and helped me to understand that I could be a mum, look after a family and still coach at the very highest level. Mm. Extremely important for me. So she, she gave you some advice and encouragement, but she also catapulted you into some experiences that basically raised your profile and got you selected for stuff, didn't she? She certainly did. And she, you know, I was, and and look, I I would have to say Norma Plummer did as well, but Mm -hmm. she might not have thought it was in the way that she was thinking. But because I'd been coached by Norma, I was one of her girls. Yeah. And so she would also be, you know, quite, even though she wouldn't say it in public, she would have been quite proud that I got the job after her and had mm. been mentored and worked, not so much mentored with Norma, but I'd worked alongside Norma for a long time and, you know, butted my head up against her in a competitive sense. But I guess I'd earned my stripes by doing that and and had been coached by her in the past as well. Mm. I don't think we can underestimate a couple of the things that you've said there. Number one, learning how to be a really good mentor. And I, interestingly, I'm working with a, one of my clients at the moment and I'm training mentors, executives, uh, and particularly executive men, how to mentor. And I don't, you know, my advice, and I'll ask you for your advice in a moment, but my advice is to organisations who are thinking about doing yet another mentoring program for women is get really deliberate. Don't assume that people who are senior know how to mentor effectively and strategically. We haven't all learned. So that that would be my advice. But the, the other part I, I want to explore is that language. You know, the language you use, so the second part of my question, the language you use with stakeholders. So if you were to think about when things go bump in the night, as you've said, you know, not everything's peachy all of the time in leadership. Sometimes you have to deliver messages which you think crumbs, this is not going to go over well, or you have to challenge the status quo, or you have to challenge an individual and their perception of what's happening in the business. How do you shape your language to have the most impact, particularly when you're you're moving into those senior roles? Well, I think you've got to treat every one of those interactions like you would be if you were presenting to, you know, an audience of 100. I, I think people don't prepare for those, we call them genuine conversations in leading teams, but I know in the public they call them difficult conversations. You need to prepare for them. You can't just, you know, squash them in between two other meetings that are about different things. You really need to prepare. You have to have your data with you. I'm thinking of the examples when I have to tell athletes that they're not going to make a team or a squad. I often rehearse those conversations even though people would tell me I'm a really clear communicator, although my husband tells me from time to time I definitely need to improve. (laughs) But don't worry, he's my 
closest confidant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I know I'm I'm good at it, but I could be. I I always think and know I have to prepare for this person because I have to honor the person and give them my very best in terms of this communication process. So I will often rehearse it. I will go through the language with particularly someone like my wellbeing manager, who is a trained um, counsellor, just to ensure the language is right, how I'm putting it across. And in the coaching vernacular, we call it, it's a rude word, hopefully I can say it, a shit sandwich, starting off the conversation in a way that's personal, personable, but professional has some positivity around it, values the person that you're speaking to as a person because the conversation is sometimes it is about their behaviour and their person, so it will be confronting. Then go through the issue, try and clearly, you know, and beforehand you should have prepared some of the different outcomes. It's a bit like coaching. It's a bit, bit like being strategic about what you're doing. Have plan A, B, C or D. You can discuss that with the person that, you know, you trust about that communication process. And often this would be Angie Bain, my, my wellbeing manager. I would rehearse all of that. We would go through some of the different scenarios, the way it could go, and then always finishing off with how that person could get back in the team, can rectify what has gone wrong, always with some sort of positive outcome and action or behaviour that's uh, achievable by that person. And then definitely part of that conversation is a retell to ensure that the person's understood what was delivered and also follow up afterwards. Mm. definitely follow up when you're delivering news it's difficult the person needs to be looked after two things I think that's a a wonderful approach and two things I want to call out that I particularly appreciate first of all practicing like you as a leader executive for many many years a number of courageous conversations whether it's with someone around their performance or their behavior whether it's with a board to say oops just lost a major client or whether it's, you know, pitching to a new client about some preparation is key. The second part, and we can't underestimate, it doesn't matter whether you're presenting to your team, to your boss, Mm -hmm. prepare, prepare, prepare. And there is actually a, um, there's another saying, prior preparation prevents poor performance. It's so so true. Yeah, being prepared is just so important. You're right. And and practising, and this is where I think mentors can be very, very useful. Just this week, I'm heavy. I had a conversation with a woman in my network practicing for her presentation for an interview for a, a new role. And we're going to do it again. So, practicing, practicing, and mentors can be very, very useful. The other part I want to call out, Lisa, is data. Have the data ready, whether it's qualitative or quantitative. Be able to support your view that goes beyond the personality. So, Okay, so let's let's put a scenario. So the Australian Diamonds had a win-loss target of X in whatever year, uh, did not achieve the win-loss ratio. So you would be going to the board, I imagine, and saying this is what the performance outcome was expected, this is what we achieved, now this is what I'm going to do about it. So that data is quite key, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And I would have to go to the board and explain, you know, when we, for example, when we didn't win World Cup, 
not mm. that you know one goal is very close it's it's you know <laughs> however it's it's a big deal it's the world cup and uh, even though we're world number 1 you would i would still have to explain and we would have done a thorough review afterwards and we would have brought those review findings to the board and to show that we are going to change things to keep improving or to improve on that result was very important. So, yes, data, qualitative and quantitative data. So very much a part of that is also to review and to get that information out and to look at it and honestly appraise it and then use it to, you know, form part of the next strategy and the next campaign, which is what we actually did after World Cup in 2019, and we used that, that information. It was great information to improve our performance in the Constellation Cup, which we won at the end of 2019. Which wraps up beautifully to say that head coach, CEO, head of, general manager, project supervisor, your job is around leading for outcomes because we're not we're, we're not there to make everyone feel good we're there to lead for outcomes for what the organization deems as its strategic uh, and in in and well definitely in your case financial goals as you said taxpayers money invested in the Australian diamonds so you had to lead for the strategic and the financial outcomes that that organization deemed as important Yes, definitely. And I learned a lot about sport business in that time, particularly, you know, just having those interactions with our sponsors and, you know, the different experiences I had being invited to, you know, listen to corporate speakers, etc. But I've learned a lot about business outcomes, particularly this year, working with leading teams. I, I'm probably well versed on the technical side of what we're delivering in terms of you know understanding culture and changing culture and behaviors but to learn about the actual business itself has been eye-opening for me the way Mm. that the business operates how you know uses its profits all of those different areas has been terrific I've learned a lot that's terrific two final questions short sharp to pick your brains they're big ones, though. So, um, in fact, I'm going to wrap one into into two. Secrets and advice. So we, we will have women listening to us at all career stages. And I certainly know my daughter, Kelsey, will be listening. So a big shout out to her because she has loved you for a long time. She's a mad netballer. And she's also a teacher. She's a maths teacher. But anyway. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, so secrets and advice to aspiring women leaders who are listening to us. I think it's really taking seriously your own self-development. So you must, must, must prioritise that into your year or your week. And one of the the greatest teachers for that for me was definitely Stephen Covey's um, book on habits, seven habits of highly effective people. Um, there's just so much gold in that book. It's very old now, but it's so relevant. Stands the test of time. Yeah. So it's understanding your big rocks because you don't want to end up 20 years down the track and realise you've put your ladder up against the wrong wall, I call it. Mm -hmm. So understanding your priorities, trying to steer your career, but understanding humbly as a human, sometimes things don't always work out the way we expected. 
but that can give us gifts of great learning as well. I think COVID this year has been a great, in, in terms of being a shock, it's been a good shock for many people in terms of realigning, reevaluating themselves and their families and their priorities so that you make sure you put your energy into the priority areas. And if you're going for a career in leadership for women, you really need to put priority into your own self-development and you must spend time on that. And, you know, having that great mentor there that you run stuff by is fabulous as well. I'm so lucky I've got a best friend who is a, she was a corporate lawyer in the going up the ladder. She went out into business by herself. She's now become a counsellor in the local government. And she's just, she's been my best friend since we were 10 and she inspires me every day. So just really lucky to have personal people like that around me that keep up the good work. She supports me no matter what. She I had love it. with me after we lost the World Cup in mm. Liverpool. <laughs> so terrific advice, Lisa. I, I'm I'm struggling to find a nice, neat way to sum up our conversation. So I've done some words that I've jotted down. We've talked about delegation difficult conversations. Data is key. I've got a bit of a D thing going here, haven't I? Understanding your big rocks, having a good personal board of directors, which I think you've talked about a couple of times with your best friend, Joyce and, and Norma. And also at the end of it, it's around leading for outcomes, whether you're in sport or in business, and you've epitomized that. So your advice is terrific. You know I think you're terrific and I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your wisdom and your experiences. And I I look forward to seeing you lead as head coach an AFL team. And if it's my team, the West Coast Eagles, tell you what, I'd be be as happy as a dog with 10 tails. Wherever wherever you end up leading, Lisa, I mean, you lead in in every day, in every part of your life, Um, I'll support you, but so many other women are are behind you and supporting you because you are a trailblazer. Easier to say, harder to do. It's hard to be a trailblazer. Mm. Uh, You are making choices about your own leadership career and your own continuing professional development, but you're making choices that are going to benefit women uh, for, for, well, generations to come. So for that, I thank you. And I thank you on behalf of me, on behalf of our members and our listeners. I thank you on behalf of my daughter and my nieces uh, because they have got a role model in you that that is terrific. So with that... I'm going to to close our conversation and hope that it's been as inspiring for our listeners as it has been for me. So thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar. Oh, 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 oh,